In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, today's gospel lesson, the parable of the sower, is worthy of all of your attention. And in fact, if you can only afford to pay attention to one sermon this year, I want it to be this one. Make it this one. With that being said, I'm going to get right into the text. The sower is God. The seed is the word. The soil is the heart of those who hear the word. And the point of this parable is this, that even though the sower casts seed on all, all of the soil, not all the soil keeps it. And that's why this text is sobering to us. Through a parable, Jesus teaches us that not everyone who hears the word will believe it. More specifically, he teaches that not everyone who believes the word right now, in this very moment, will continue to believe it. There is no once saved, always saved. Some will fall away. And that's the truth. People can have true, genuine faith at one moment in their life, and then they can lose it. Now, you know this well. How many friends did you grow up with in the church who have now left the faith? And how many family members have done the same? And co-workers. There were people here years ago just last year, who are no longer here today because they have left the faith. They sat in the same seats that you are, hearing the same word, receiving the same body and blood of Christ. They believed it, and now they don't. The true living faith that they once had is now lifeless and dead. And that's what this parable is about. This isn't a parable about how people come to faith. It's about how people lose it. It's a warning about the dangers of falling away. Jesus teaches us that there are three ways that people lose faith. And the first way is like soil that's on a path, soil that's trampled on and pressed down. This is what we would call a callous and hardened heart. At first glance, it seems like Jesus is talking about those who have always rejected the word, those who have never, ever believed, but that's wrong. The verse 12 says, the ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their, what? From their heart, not from their ears, but from their hearts. The word was at one time in their hearts, and now it is not. At one time, the word went into their ears, down to their heart, and then that word was then snatched away from that heart. In English, verse 12 says that the devil takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. But that is not a good translation. There's a participle here in the Greek, and we have to deal with that. So the text literally says this. It says that the devil takes away the word from their hearts, lest they should, having believed, be saved. So that at one point they believed it, 
and then now they don't. It's not that they never believed. It's not that they believed that. Uh, it's that they believed at one point in their life, and then they stopped. And why? And the text says because they hardened their heart. Now, a hardened heart is what happens whenever you refuse to repent or to admit that you're wrong or confess your sins for whatever it might be. There's no distinction of a big or a small sin. It's whatever sin. Now, whenever you do this, even in the smallest degree, you begin the process of hardening your own heart, making it callous. And when you're too proud to admit that you're wrong, too proud to admit that you've sinned, or to say that what you're doing isn't right, that, you need, that, that you're too proud to say that you need God to forgive you, that you needed Christ to die on the cross for the things that you have done and the things that you're doing, then you have hardened your heart. So for example, when the pastor or another Christian comes to you and says, this is wrong, that is a sin, you need to repent, you need God's forgiveness. And you simply deny it or excuse it or justify what you've done, then you've hardened your heart. When someone sins against you and you refuse to forgive them, when you hold a grudge, when you think evil of them in your heart, then you have hardened your heart. When you walk out of church in the same way, the same life that you came in with, you've hardened your heart. The word has not taken root in your heart. And and, and over time, after all of these things, you will harden your heart to the point of no return. To the point where God's word no longer affects you. To the point where you no longer fear God. That you don't care about the gospel. And when this happens, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the devil comes and snatches the gospel away from your heart altogether. So that is the first reason people fall away in penitence. Now, the second way that you lose your faith is like a seed on rocky soil, Jesus says. When they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while. And in a time of testing, that is in a time of suffering, they fall away. Now, it's not just any kind of suffering. It's a very specific kind of suffering that accompanies those who bear the name of Christ. When you bear the name of a Christian, there is a suffering that comes along with that, and that is called persecution. And Jesus teaches us that in the midst of this persecution, when when having faith becomes difficult, some people will fall away. They will give up the faith. So many receive the gospel with joy at first, and many then give it up when there's persecution. And so many leave the faith when having faith becomes difficult or uncomfortable or inconvenient, when it's not the popular or acceptable thing to do. Now, of course, I'm talking about those who are tortured and killed for the gospel. Some will give it up in those moments. But I'm talking about... uh, People, how people leave the faith for much less even. When they realize that their friends and family view them differently or think less of them because they are a Christian and they hold to the word of God, some will leave. 
Many will leave when they see that the world mistreats us and excludes us and isolates us and silences us and shuns us because of what we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth. They'll simply say in those moments, it's not worth it. This was great at first. I loved being a Christian at first. This was wonderful. But now it's not worth the trouble or the labor or the pain. I'm cutting out too many things in my life. If I just stop speaking up, stop saying that I'm a Christian, stop associating myself with this group of people, with this church, then life is going to go a little better. And if I just stop talking and taking God so seriously, then all of this will go away. And the truth is, Yes, all of the worldly resistance and opposition goes away just so long as your faith does too. That is the trade-off. Now, you may have thoughts like this. You may have been tempted towards an easier life, uh, carefree life by giving up the word, by staying silent. You may be tempted to just sit back down or back down a little on your stances and convictions just to please the world to make a few friends, to appease family members, to get ahead in your career, or to be loved by the world. If you're tempted to do this, and if you've thought these things and you let them go unchecked, then you should also know that it won't be long before you lose the faith altogether, the little that's left. And that is the second reason people will fall away resistance or persecution or love of the world. Now, the third way you lose your faith is like a seed among thorns. Jesus says, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Of all the things that destroy faith, this one takes the longest And for that reason, it is the most dangerous because it happens slowly and gradually. It's like the analogy of the frog in the kettle, the the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life slowly choke out your faith, your money, your leisure, your entertainment, your family, your friends, your vacations, your job, your career, your food, your sleep, and so on. Jesus calls these things weeds. All of these things slowly creep up day after day around you and they can choke out your Sunday morning, choke out your devotions, and choke out your time at Bible study and so on. Uh, By the way, you don't trim weeds. You rip them out from the root. And the truth is that even when you do that, another one pops up. And what Jesus is teaching us is that this will be a lifelong struggle to the day we die. And if you let these things pile up and they go unchecked, it will not be long until your faith is strangled to death by the cares of this life. Uh, I'll cut to the chase. Christians fall away because they think they are too busy to come to church. That's what's happening here. They're not, but they think they are. I'll put it into perspective, and it's something I've said many times before. Church takes one hour of your week. 
more or less, depending on the sermon. But one hour. Uh, uh, it'll be longer today. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> one hour. Fine. That is one hour out of 168 hours in the week. And some of you are good at math. You know that that is 0.6% of your entire week. You have 167 hours to do whatever. 99% of your week to devote to the cares of this life. It's not that people don't have time to come to church. The average American watches four hours of TV every day. Every day. Church is one hour a week. It's not that people don't have time. It's that they don't want to. They don't love God. They don't want forgiveness. They don't want to go to heaven. It is not the chief priority in their life. It is that simple. I know, I know, I know it's hard to hear, but it is the truth and it is good for you to hear this. They schedule their life around their plans and not around Jesus. For them, church is a chore, an item at the bottom of the list. You'll hear people say, look, I'd love to go to church. Yes, I'd love to be there. But just so long as I don't want to do anything else first, as long as I don't want to go to Disney or vacation or have family and friends in town or catch up on sleeping, just so long as I literally have nothing else that I want to do instead of church. Uh, We're seeing the devastating effects of this attitude here in the States. Decades ago, an entire generation of parents decided to put their children in sports that practiced and played games on Sunday. And what did this do? Did they become the great phenomenal athletes we imagined? No. They were not part of the 0.03% that actually becomes a professional athlete. They became part of the 63% of Americans who left the church. And this is because we taught an entire generation of kids that God does not matter. So we can't be that surprised that the ones who don't go to church now are the ones who were taught to skip it when they were young. Uh, By the way, contemporary worship and other gimmicks will not fix this. It will not bring them back. Anyway, this is what happens when you let the cares of this world crowd out Sunday morning and your devotions and your prayers. And you may not think it's a big deal to miss here and there. But with that attitude, it will not be long again until you lose the faith. And that is the third reason people fall away. The cares of this life. I know what you're thinking, because I thought this while I was writing the sermon. Um, Well, pastor, the people who really need to hear this sermon aren't here. They're not listening. (laughs) Great. Uh, Sure. Fine. Yes, everyone needs to hear this sermon. But this sermon isn't for those who won't hear it. It is for you who will. It is for those who have ears to hear. This sermon is meant to keep you from falling away. Those who have fallen away were once in the same seat that you are, and they fell away because they didn't heed the warning. They fell away because they thought this sermon was about someone else. They thought it was about other people and not for me. 
don't do the same thing. Don't let this be your last Sunday or your last year as a Christian. For them, it is too late. Yes, their faith has been snatched away. It has withered and died. It has been choked out by the cares of this life. But you still have time. The word is being preached to you into your ears, into your heart right now. Before I close, I want to talk about the last soil, the good soil. Jesus says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now think about what good soil is. Good soil is dirt that is broken up with no birds, no rocks, no weeds, no thorns. And yet, where in this world can you find a piece or a patch of land that is good soil? You don't just walk, walk across something and find a perfectly plowed and tilled patch of soil. You don't. All of the soil is trampled and has rocks and debris and weeds and thorns. You don't just find a good patch of soil. Soil can't make itself good either. And it can't keep itself good. Good soil isn't found. Good soil is made. It has to be worked on. It has to be constantly cleaned out and plowed. Somebody has to get down on their hands and knees and work by the sweat of their brow. And the same thing goes for your heart. Your heart cannot make itself good. Your heart must be made good. It must be worked on not by you, but by another. And that other is Christ, your dear Lord. And that is exactly what he's done here today. It doesn't matter what kind of soil you were or what kind of heart you had in the past. It doesn't even matter what kind of heart you had this morning walking into the church. Jesus has forgiven it all. And Jesus has made your heart the good soil right now. Your dear Lord has come to you in his words in this sermon. And he has softened your heart He has cleared away the fear of persecution, uprooted any attachment you had to this world. He killed it and he has come down and he has taken away all of your sin and he creates in you a what? A clean heart. He clears away everything that was covering your ears and he has planted the forgiveness of sins into your soul. His unending and undying love for you deep into your heart. And he waters it with the blood from his veins. And all of this he does not because you earned it or deserved it, not because you're better than everybody else or stronger or more faithful. Rather, he has done it by grace alone. All because he loves you. Because in his infinite wisdom, he has chosen to make you his own and to hear him. This is what Jesus says in verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. It has been given. He gave it to you. He not only gave you his word, he also gave you the ears to hear it. And he also gave you the faith to believe that word. It is all his doing, all by grace alone. So dear saints, for this reason, you don't have to be worried about your salvation. You can be certain of your salvation. You can and you should be certain of your salvation because it doesn't depend upon you. It doesn't depend your faith, your salvation, your eternal life, your perseverance in the faith. Being faithful until your final day in this life does not depend upon you. 
It depends upon the Lord who loves you and gave himself for you. And the same Jesus whose flesh was torn on the cross will not let anything tear you away from him. He will not let anything tear faith out of your heart. He will not only bring you to faith, but he will keep you in it until the end. Again, if you think I'm talking to someone else or about someone else, I'm not. This is for you. I'm talking to you, and if you hear this, it is yours. The very warnings you heard about falling away are, is precisely how Jesus keeps you from falling away, how he keeps you in the faith. The warnings about losing your faith is exactly how Jesus gives you and strengthens your faith. This is how he keeps it alive. And that's because God won't let these things take you away from him. He won't let the devil take your faith. He won't let persecution scorch it. He won't let the cares of this life choke it out. He won't let any of these things ruin your faith. And he will not let you ruin your faith. He will protect you against all of these things. And he will protect you even against yourself. He will keep you faithful until the end. Believe it. Take comfort and certainty and assurance that you will make it to the end because your dear Lord will continually be with you and he will never forsake you. This is what Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, he will sustain you to the end. So dear saints, Jesus is the reason you're hearing this sermon right now. He opened your ears to hear it and he will continue to make you hear it and he will continue to give you a good and a clean heart to hear this word. And because of him, you will hold it fast in an honest and good heart and you will bear fruit with patience. And the same God who has done this right now will also see it through to the end. He who has ears to hear Let him hear. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.